welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. After almost two months away, we're back with a show bigger and better than ever. Well, I'm not sure that's exactly true, but one of the reasons it could be is that Austin Miller is now here in South America, along with myself and Simon. How is it going there in Argentina, Austin? It's going well, Adam. Thank you for having me. But I'm, I'm a bit worried that you've oversold us as bigger than better than ever. And now you're about to introduce the same exact panel to do a show that follows the same exact format as always. So the pressure's on and you've just ratcheted it up completely unnecessarily. I, I did put a disclaimer in there instantly saying I'm not sure if that's true. But anyway, let, let's move on. Let's go all the way up to neighboring Colombia. Popper America 2020 joke there for those who didn't catch it. And speak to Simon Edwards. How are you, Simon? I'm good. I'm good. All good here in, in Medellin, in Colombia, talking Copa America. It's going to be fun. Mixed feelings about the tournament from Colombia. We'll get into all of that. But uh, yeah, yeah, all good. All good here in Colombia. And finally, um, we cross the Atlantic to speak to Tom Robinson, based in England. But his heart is always very much in Argentina. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm very good. I've, I've had the uh, the in-laws over, so uh, I've been stuffing my face with alfajores and other Argentinian treats. So I'm, I'm feeling firmly in South America in spirit, if not in body. That sounds lovely. Right, OK. Well, this show today, we're going to be basically breaking down what went on in the Copa America 2019 in Brazil. I'm guessing most of our listeners would have noticed by now that uh, unusually we didn't do a preview show for this tournament. So um, unlike other previous shows, you can't point out to us when we've got it wrong. Um, So we can just say that we predicted all along that Brazil would beat Peru in the final. Um, Austin, you're kind of up, um, our expert, all things Brazilian football. What did you make of Brazil's triumph in this Copa America? I think it was to be expected, Adam. I think it was the result that everybody kind of predicted and everybody knew that Brazil kind of needed at, at this point in time. Uh, they disappointed at the 2018 World Cup uh, going out in the quarterfinals. Now they had a major tournament on home soil after they had really dominated qualification leading up to the 2018 World Cup, they, they were far and away the best South American side. So I think the expectation here was that they would be able to kind of cement that status. The performances were a mixed bag at times. Uh, the nil-nil draw against Venezuela, the nil-nil draw in the quarterfinals against Paraguay, the match that they, they had to end up winning on penalties. Um, but beyond that, this was still, I think, a pretty impressive performance from Brazil. Maybe it wasn't as dominant as it could have or or perhaps should have been. But then you look at it again and they conceded one goal the entire competition. And that was a penalty in the final to Peru, a match they ended up winning 3-1. They beat Argentina handily, though not without controversy in the semifinals 2-0. They beat the Peru side that they ended up beating for the final 5-0 in their final group stage match. It it took them a while, but they beat Bolivia 3-0. So this was the performance that Brazil needed. They won a a competition that they were heavily favored to win on home soil. Uh, It keeps the the pressure away, if you will, from Cheech and company. 
The expectation is that they will qualify and probably qualify easily for the 2022 World Cup, much in the same manner as they did for 2018. Uh, The 2020 Copa America should be interesting from a Brazilian perspective, particularly uh, when we kind of think about how they may end up approaching that. But all said and done, I think it's job done for Brazil. Everton, uh, the Grêmio winger, certainly a standout player for Brazil. Danny Alves showing that that age is just a number, uh, certainly a standout player uh, at right back. The absence of Neymar, I don't think really ended up making a difference for Brazil. An argument can certainly be made that it ended up helping them uh, in that it, it kind of lightened any sort of some controversy around them. Neymar, obviously a very controversial figure. So in the end, uh, I think it was job done for Brazil. It, it may not have been in this the style that, that many would have liked. This was a very Cheech-led Brazil side, I think it's fair to say. They got the lead and then they refused to give it up, generally. Um, but they won the tournament, and, and I think that was the expectation for them, and that was what they ended up doing. So j- credit to Brazil and, and job done at the end of this Copa America. Yeah, for me, it was a very safe and organised-looking Brazil side. They were rarely exciting. and In fact, probably their most memorable moments um, came from their 36-year-old right-back, Danny Alves. But yeah, there, there were some nice moments from Everton, as you mentioned. We'll we have a little bit more on him in a bit as a question came in for him. But Simon, what, what did you make of this Brazil side? Did they pretty much meet your expectations in this Copa America? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I think they were very comfortable. Obviously, in the group stage at times, um, they did struggle to get that first goal. I thought um, I thought they really benefited when Artur came back into the side. I thought he was one of their best performers. Uh, Coutinho was good, but I sometimes felt that Coutinho did his best work once the game was won. Uh, very classy player, obviously dangerous, but uh, for me, Artur was the guy who was carrying the creative burden in midfield, obviously with Dani Alves pushing on as well. Um, I think they're a good side. They're a strong side. I think they were probably deserved winners. Um, I, I do think, as you say, with Chiche, once he um, had the lead, I think he dropped back a little bit unnecessarily at times. And obviously, they generally kept things tight, but they almost invited Argentina back into that game. I think with some conservative play, Argentina obviously played their part. But uh, I think uh, if Brazil had pushed on, they could have got another goal and made things more comfortable. Uh, Paraguay, they struggled for the goal. I think Coutinho had a good competition, but I also think there is still a question about their presence in the penalty box. Uh, Everton played well from the left, and Gabriel Jesus was generally very good from the right, although it's not his most natural position. I still think there's questions about penalty box, playing against deep defences. They're going to have a lot of that qualifying for the next World Cup. Um, it could prove a headache again. A um, couple of three games in this tournament where they did struggle to get the first goal. Um, Paraguay, Venezuela and Bolivia, even though they did eventually run away with it against Bolivia. But I think more positives than negatives. The defence looks strong. They've got a great goalkeeper. Um, Artur is, is, is still good, but I still think there's a bit of a refinement. I don't necessarily think Neymar would have massively helped things, but there's still a little bit of work to do in terms of um, in terms of becoming quite as potent as they could be in attack. But job done. Got the, got the win. Deserve winners. And uh, we'll see how they do moving on. What about you, Tom? Any thoughts on Brazil? Yeah, I think it was, you know, a nice sort of evolution of Brazil. You know, we saw, um, as you said there, Danny Alves um, playing in a very different role, not his traditional up and down the wings role, but more of someone who likes to cut inside and and sort of dictate from midfield almost at times. Well, it's, it's, kind of role, it's kind of a role we saw more from him when he was playing Barcelona, certainly under Guardiola. 
where you know he 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 drifts inside and becomes that kind of extra playmaker. Yeah, definitely. But like certainly for Brazil, he's I feel like he's tended to be more in the traditional role of adding the width and getting high up the field. Where certainly he's bringing maybe that that club level. Uh, positioning into into the national team game I think Cheech has seen that as um, you know bringing him back into the fold and showing showing how useful he can be at doing that Um, and yeah just in general I feel like the team's on the right track you know as Simon said Artur playing very well a different kind of Brazilian midfielder than we've seen over the last 10-15 years arguably and Everton as well being maybe he is one of those guys that can break down those those tough low blocks that that we've seen from from certain sort of lesser nations as it were and and he really was the revelation of the tournament I mean I obviously he's had a brilliant 18 months at Gremio but I think even those of us who have seen plenty of of him and been really impressed with him I mean I, I was still surprised at just how he took this competition by storm and was was the revelation of the tournament um and I think one and obviously another player who played a big role was Gabriel Jesus some some uh, a long wait for a goal, and but they seem to get his shooting boots back on. Bit of petulance at the end there, and I was going to ask Austin, kind of, do you do you think that debate of who plays up front has been solved by maybe playing them both up front and and having sort of Gabriel Jesus on in a sort of a wider role? Yeah, I think that seemed to work in this competition, particularly when you look back to that Peru game. I think Gabriel Jesus was probably Brazil's most dangerous player in that match on the right side um, being so dangerous. So, you know, I think that could be a potential solution for Brazil, but I don't know if that necessarily solves the issue that Simon brought up of what what do they do and how will they handle bunkered in teams because that has has kind of been their weakness under Cheech for a while when they don't get that first goal what what can they kind of do to to go against that and I'm not sure if the Gabriel Jesus Firmino partnership if you will or one on the wing one up top kind of would solve that but I do think that that seemed to be kind of the correct answer for how to approach this competition and how to maybe approach those two playing together. So I think Cheech definitely deserves some credit for, for that idea. And not just that Austin, but also kind of the elephant in the room with this, with this Brazil side now is, you know, what, what do they do about Neymar? They've, they've finally won some silverware again, but it's come without Neymar in the, in the side. So where does he fit into this? You know, can you play Jesus, Firmino and Neymar all in the same starting lineup? You should be able to, but again, as you said, it's, it's Neymar and it's a little bit different. Um, ideally, Neymar should just be what Everton was only better because he's simply a better player. But it doesn't always work like that with Neymar. Can he come into this side and kind of retain that Everton role or will the ball once again kind of always seem to find his feet and, and slow things down for Brazil? And that's the question, I think, going forward with the, for lack of a better term, reintegration of Neymar post this Copa America. There's no doubt that, that Neymar is coming back into this team. He's simply too talented for Brazil to just leave him out of the squad. I think that's a non-starter. And, and anyone who would suggest that they would do that simply just doesn't know how it's going to go. But how they actually do that is where the difficulty becomes. I think the ideal way is have Neymar do what Everton did, only do it better. 
Um, but obviously when you, when you ask him to play that sort of role, I don't know if that's what Neymar wants to do in this Brazil side. And that's kind of the question. But that said, I don't know if, I don't know. I, I think it would have been a different tournament had Neymar been here for Brazil. And it's a very interesting question going forward for this side as to what they will do and how they will try to handle that situation. Okay, so now it's time for a listener question. And that came from Xander Wilkinson. Thank you for your question, Xander. Um, do you think ever? Um, his question was: Do you think Everton's performance for Brazil will have been enough to finally convince European sides he is worth going? What What, what do you think of that, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I think most European sides are probably already convinced before the tournament. But if if the, if anyone did need convincing, then this is definitely going to have improved his profile in, in added a few um you know zeros to the price tag potentially or maybe maybe that's maybe that's a few too many but still i think all those rumors that at first i thought were a bit fanciful now seem like they could be reality um so where he goes um i think you have plenty of options um but yeah i would be very very shocked if he didn't move uh, this summer now um funny enough i was actually asked pretty much this exact exact same question on um on talk sport over over weekend um bit of a name drop there and uh and basically yeah their question was why hasn't everton moved to europe sooner really when when i had to break it down for me it was maybe they were they felt that he just wasn't mature enough in his in maybe both his personality but certainly also in, in his decision making off the field. Now that for me was was impressive in this in this Copper America. He did quite often make the right decision, and I'm not sure we've always seen that. Certainly, can remember a couple of times in the Libertadores in recent years him not making the right decisions. Now, yeah, and I think kind of like Tom, I I don't know that there was a ton of convincing that he, he necessarily needed to do. Uh, there were some pretty strong links to Manchester City about six months ago where it looked like a deal would get done there. It was always going to happen. I think what this Copa America has done has probably raised his profile a little bit and probably a positive from Gremio's perspective has, has, has raised his price tag. Uh, I think it's going to take a lot to be the highest bidder on Everton at, at the end of this. I think I'm with Tom. That move will probably happen now. Uh, he's probably done playing in a Gremio shirt. Um, maybe there's a situation where he stays for six more months to try to make another one at the Libertadores. Um, but I think that that chapter, he's probably done what he wanted to do and what he felt he needed to do at Gremio. Uh, I think Gremio are probably at the point now where they're ready to to get a big payday for a player of his quality. And I think a move within the next couple of weeks or months, uh, and as Tom said, he'll really have the pick of where he wants to go. That it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I think he was important for Brazil in this tournament because he was fearless and because he was new and he approached the game and he came in as well and scored very early in his his first start off the bench, appearance off the bench. So I think in this tournament, he provided something fresh. Uh, there wasn't the experience or the caution. There was the, the, the fearlessness and the, the confidence and that only built throughout the tournament. So um, he's a very good player. He's a very dangerous player, a wide, pacey winger who can cut inside and get a shot off is always going to find a place uh, in world football. Um, and, I, and, I, and I do wonder how he'll do week in, week out playing at a high level. But in this tournament, he got off to a good start and maintained his level throughout. 
couple of games where he's a little bit quieter. Um, I think the semi-final he had less of an impact, but yeah, he's a he's a very useful addition, an energetic, dangerous, tricky, pacey uh, winger. Against having Kula in the, in the Pru game, he absolutely destroyed him over and over again, and that's not the best defender, but someone who's very quick, and it and it really showed that uh, Everton is more than just pace. He's got a bit about him in terms of his touch and his creativity to open open things up. So a very talented player uh, who I'm sure will uh, go to a big club. I just hope he doesn't go to too big a club and, and struggle for minutes because he's definitely a, a very good player who's, who's continuing to impress and progress. OK, well, I think that's enough on the champions. I think it's time to have a look at our runners-up in this Copa America. And that was Peru, which I think would have surprised most people pre, pre-tournament um, and certainly sort of after the group stage uh, as well. Tom, where do you think it went right for this Peru side in the Copa America and perhaps where it went wrong in the final? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about it as a nice surprise in, in terms of the tournament um, and especially after the context of, you know, the drubbing they got from Brazil in the group stage. But I think what what sort of the real triumph of this was Peru really showing that you know this is a good t- uh, side. They did very well to get to the World Cup, and they kind of let their emotion get the better of them, and to get the occasion get the better of them at the World Cup. So this was a reminder of actually Garek has done a great job um, at Peru. They're they're a good side. They try and play good football. It doesn't always come off as we saw you know in both games against Brazil, but. They were competitive. That that win against Chile was was a real highlight. I thought for um, just showing that this yeah is is a good technical team. Um, it was a very fearless display, and um, but it was it was a fearless display combined with some good tactical sense as well, which isn't something we always associate with with Peru. Um, but for me personally, I think one another thing we have to highlight here is them winning their first ever penalty shootout. And you kind of touched on it there when you said sort of last year in the World Cup, they kind of got, they let their emotions get the better of them at times. I think in this, in this Copa America, they did prove themselves to be a much sort of mentally stronger um, side than perhaps we're, we're used to associating with Peru. Yeah, definitely. And I think even just in the, I mean, as well as having you know, the guts and the, the intelligence to get past a good Uruguay side and holding their nerve in the penalty shootout. Just the difference in how they reacted in the Brazil games, in the in the 5-0 loss, their heads went down, they they lost their heads, and we were all thinking, oh, is this, is, is this Peru side sort of imploding and potentially going out early? But then, you know, in the final, yes, they lost, but they gave a good account of themselves. They got back into the game. They're a bit unfortunate with a with a couple of decisions. Brazil, Brazil, obviously the the better side and and deserved winners, but they definitely can come out of it with a lot of credit. And you know, the the talisman of the side was was Paulo Guerrero, um, third, joint top scorer, third time he's um, won a golden boot um, at this competition, and someone who's yeah, who, who's really kind of the the spearhead of what is a good good midfield and a surprisingly solid defence for quite an inexperienced one as well. I was impressed with um, uh, Luis Aram and uh, Zambrano in the cen- in the centre. Trauco showed some good moments too. Galesi had, you know, 
a, a couple of errors, but generally had a decent tournament, I thought. And there's a lot of decent technical midfielders I mentioned there. So it's it's a nice balance to the team. And um, it's going to be interesting whether to see whether this is kind of the, the high point, um, along with the World Cup appearance, um, or whether they can kind of keep it up. Yeah, I think for me, that's the question with Peru going forward from this. Yes, it was a good result for them. Uh, but in the end, you know, they drew nil-nil with Venezuela. They had to come from behind to beat Bolivia. They got smashed by Brazil in the group stage. Their performances certainly picked up in the knockout rounds. Uh, they were certainly beneficiaries of the, uh, shall we say, interesting decision to have matches go straight to penalties after 90 minutes in the quarterfinals. I think they played to that against Uruguay. Give them all the credit in the world. They took great penalties, a good performance against Chile, and then they were pretty soundly beaten by Brazil in the final. So, you know, I don't know that it was necessarily an incredible performance from Peru. I think the result was probably better than than the actual performances were stacked on top of each other. And now it's okay. Where where does this Peru side go from here? There's another Copa America next year. What sort of impact can they have on that? Paulo Guerrero is 35. You know, it's difficult to see him lasting at this level for much longer, although I would imagine that he will try to hang on for as long as possible, both for for club and country. Looking towards qualification for 2022, it looks like Peru kind of slots right into that middle tier of teams that will be fighting out for for one, maybe two direct spots to the World Cup and then a spot in what will be an intercontinental playoff. So I think that's kind of my question with Peru is is where can they go from here and where will they go from here? Yeah, I think, I mean, the knockout stage was a big improvement. Obviously, again, very tight decisions in the Uruguay game, which could have changed the, the course of things. But I was very impressed by the, how they played against Chile. Um, I thought they passed it the ball really well at times. They've got, they've got a very well-balanced team. Um, the defense, as we've said, was probably better in reality than it looked on paper. Um, there aren't many standout defenders. Trauco, obviously, uh, a player in Europe and having Kulo is okay, but not the best defensively. But as a collective with uh, Jotun and uh, Tapia in front, um, I thought those two were really important in, in the midfield, giving them balance, allowing Cueva to have freedom. I definitely thought they also improved when they played with more width uh, further forward. In the, the group stage, they played, you know, some quaver from the left and they, they played a lot more century than we've seen traditionally from Peru. Um, generally, I see them as a 4-2-3-1 with uh, uh, fullbacks pushing on and wingers staying wide with one man up front. And I thought that in the in the knockout stage, they kind of went a bit more with that. Carrillo coming in and Edison Flores, who had a good tournament, um, playing a little bit further wide and then kind of inside as well. So I think they've got a nice balance, of course. Paulo Guerrero is getting on a little bit. Cueva has great ability, but can fade in games. So I do think they perhaps uh, surpassed expectations a little bit. I thought the Chile game was great. I thought they played pretty well in the final. As I mentioned with Brazil, I think sometimes Brazil get the goal and drop back and let you into the game a little bit. And I thought it did that a bit. Very unfortunate to concede just before halftime. I think that would that completely changed the game in the final. Uh, if they got to halftime level, then they come out with more confidence but that Brazil goal was was almost the end of things for Peru. But again, a good tournament. Uh, we The group stage wasn't great. They got a nil-nil draw against a, a good Uruguay side, which is creditable. They were good against Chile. In the final, they were competitive. So a good tournament. 
still lacking a bit of overall star quality. Some players getting older, but I think there's a good balance. And obviously, uh, they came together. There were rumblings of some some disagreements in the camp, but clearly they came together for the knockout stage, and they had a very good competition overall. Yes, I mean that goal right before halftime was just killer for Peru. Uh, they were fortunate, I think, to get back into that match in the manner that they did. Uh, a handball call goes going against Brazil, giving Peru a penalty. But to concede right on halftime, I think had they gotten to halftime of that final yesterday, 1-1, then I think Brazil would have really started to feel the pressure. But at 2-1, uh, then I think from there, Brazil were kind of able to get back to, to playing the way that they wanted to. And that was probably the difference in the end for Peru from having a chance to maybe make that game down the stretch. And on the subject of Guerrero, we've, we've had a question as well from uh, another listener drifting through Driftwood, who's sort of, uh, again asked if it's the end of an era for Peru, which I guess we've kind of, we've all kind of mentioned and none of us have really got a definite answer on that. But um, he kind of says, when Paulo Guerrero goes, who's going to lead the line? So has anyone got any ideas who that could be? I'll give you a definitive answer on the end of the Peruvian era. I don't think Peru's making the 2020 World Cup, 2022 World Cup, sorry. And I don't think they're going to get particularly close. I think Gareca's done really well with Peru. I think the fact that they qualified for 2018 and that they had this run in 2019 is going to be the highlight for them. So I, I'm happy enough to go on the record and say that, yes, this is the end of an era for Peru and that, no, there is, is not a replacement to Guerrero going forward. If you guys won't step out on the limb, I will. Ladies and gentlemen, Austin <laughs> Miller... Sounding the be- uh, the death toll for uh, Peru there. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Paulo Guerrero obviously will be a massive loss. I was really impressed in this tournament. I'd kind of seen him before as kind of a, a number nine, maybe a penalty box striker, but he's really technically good. And again, this should be a, not a surprise to anyone, but uh, I was impressed the way he dropped deeper and, and contributed building the play and putting some balls in. You know, I kind of had him in mind of a bit of a Falcao, but he does a bit more than Falcao, I think. And uh, he's impossible to replace for Peru at the moment. I mean, they've got Raul Rui Diaz on the bench. Andy Polo maybe could play as a forward. Farfan's still there. But again, these are Farfan will be the obvious choice. But again, he's getting a little bit older as well. So that's a concern. And I think they'll still put up a decent fight at the next Copa America if they can keep most of this team together. But yeah, two two year long qualifying campaign. Um, I, I think they might end up falling a bit short, but but we'll see. There's some positivity. Hopefully they can build some momentum and keep things going. I think they'll be competitive next year, but I think Austin may not be too far wrong with his negativity towards Peru long term. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure. I, I'd go quite that far. Kind of see them battling it out, certainly for, for full fifth spot, mainly because of Gareca, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to look at his record in competitive matches with, with Peru and think anything other than they are going to be competitive still in World Cup qualifying. Although the timings of this, of the World Cup qualifying is very interesting, has to be said. Um, and perhaps this is the time we'll just touch on that a little, little bit. They don't start until March 2020. Um, so that's, you know, getting on for, what, eight, nine months from, from this point. And that, that, that can be quite a long time in football. So, certainly if you've got some key players over the age of 30, um, we'll come on to that and Chile in, in a bit as well. Um, but also if, you, if you're not a country that 
is regularly producing quality um, at under 20, under 17 level. And, and, I've, and, I've, and you know, Peru have struggled to do that in, in recent years. Um, they don't have sort of, unlike Colombia and Uruguay, for example, they don't have many players heading across to, to Europe um, at a young age. So I do feel that, yeah, but, but they could struggle, but it could be sort of a time issue here but I think they're I think they're running against the clock as much as and I think a little bit a little bit like Chile are as well <laughs> it's a long campaign we saw we saw for example how good Ecuador were at the start of qualifying and they're quite a long way away from that now so it definitely things can definitely change during the qualifying campaigns and one positive for Peru does seem that Gareca isn't really thinking about leaving he said He's, he's someone who's used to respecting his contracts and he's and he's got a contract until 2021. So certainly the rumours of uh, Argentina um, trying to tempt him across might uh, might be falling on deaf ears and uh, he seems in it for the long haul, which can only be good for Peruvian football. That seems like the perfect segue into Argentina, no, Adam? The third place team in this Copa America? Yep, um, Argentina edged out Chile 2-1 in the, in the third place playoff. A game which was perhaps surprisingly um, full of incident. Um, it's not something we usually associate with a third, third fourth-place playoff. Um, but yeah, it, it seemed like Chile, who had been fairly passive compared to Chilean sides in recent years in terms of their aggressiveness on the pitch, um, had basically saved up a lot of their aggressive energy for, for Messi, Argentina, and then an appalling... Paraguayan referee, um, but yeah, it was um, it, it, this was this was a generous placing for Argentina. I think we can probably all agree if you take uh, the tournament as a whole. Although you could say they probably did improve as it went on, though, Tom. Yeah, they definitely improved as uh, it went on. I think in many ways it kind of mirrored the World Cup in terms of an absolutely shambolic start, and then Argentina. It's almost like they need to be on the precipice, sort of staring down the barrel before they pull it together. And and like in the World Cup, they they got the result they needed to to scrape out of the group. Um, and then yeah, against Venezuela, I thought they were good. Against Brazil, they were good, and they got that nice cathartic finish um, with a win over Chile to to put to bed some of the demons from the, from the last couple of Copa, Copa America. So even though. Argentina are still a long way off from being the finished article and being able to challenge the likes of Brazil. I think by the end of the tournament, there was the feeling that, okay, I think we're, you know, maybe on the right track here and, and certain things are starting to click into place. Um, it, it wasn't the terrible campaign it could have been. And, and as you said, third place maybe put was a little bit favorable on them, but I think semifinals was probably about as good as they could have hoped for. Um, Certainly, there were decent performances from Lautaro Martinez, uh, Leandro Paredes. I thought Lo Celso was decent still. De Paul looked good. Um, you know, even players like Dybala showing at the end there that he's someone who who wants to be part of uh, this group. And and I think the big the big point from that all was how Messi wasn't necessarily the guy that they were always looking to and Messi had a pretty quiet tournament in general um, and I think that lack of dependence on Messi can only be a good thing and 
he's kind of again evolving into a slightly different role his legs aren't as you know he doesn't have the legs that he used to and he's going to be more of a passer as, as we saw for that amazing assist for Aguero against Chile um and he Rolling he ball. seems well <laughs> you know we can we can put that down to one of the many uh, interesting decisions uh, that did or didn't go to VAR um but um you know Messi seems committed he seems maybe too vocal after some of his uh, choice words for Comnibol, um and and for Gary Medel as well probably um so yeah we're seeing a different Messi for Argentina both personality wise and and on the pitch and I think you know that's there's some there's some positives to be taken from that basically Austin what, what's the reaction been there in Argentina to to Messi's sort of um outburst against Comnibor and uh, and the standard of of refereeing in in this tournament yeah that's really overshadowed anything else that Argentina did or didn't do in this competition there was a strong sense that they were hard done by in the match against Brazil uh, a couple of penalty shouts that were not looked at uh, by the the referee, the Ecuadorian Radi Zambrano, in that match. Uh, that certainly the general consensus here in Argentina was that one, if not both of them, should have been called penalties. Uh, one of them ended up directly leading to Brazil's second goal, uh, the well-worked counterattack that ended with Firmino tapping in to make it 2-0. Um, which I think that there there's there's an argument to be made there uh, that maybe they were hard done by 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 some of those decisions. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, joy probably isn't the right word, but they're happy to see Messi so engaged and so involved with this national team. Uh, a, a major tournament ended, and there isn't really a question mark as to if Messi will continue with the national team, which hasn't been the case over the past couple of major tournaments. But I think a lot of the attention is rather misguided. And the reason that they feel so fine with this performance is because of just how low the bar really was and how terrible those opening group stage performances were. Uh, Argentina are far, far, far from where they should be. Uh, they've got a manager who's never held the managerial role, who's now going to hang on to it for another six months, who's going to take charge of six friendlies for Argentina ahead of World Cup qualification, uh, and then maybe still be their manager, or maybe hand it off to somebody else to have their first match in charge be the start of World Cup qualification. Look, Argentina still are not in a very good spot, and I don't think they did particularly well in this tournament. But I think that that maybe the end results have kind of clouded that in the view of it. I wasn't really impressed with Argentina. I don't know that there's a lot to build on going forward from here. I think Tom's right, Lautaro Martinez, that's a positive sign. I think the performance of DePaul and Lo Celso in the midfield, that's a positive sign. Uh, the engagement of Messi is a positive sign. But Simon, this is still an absolutely shambolic defense that cannot be trusted at literally any point to do what they should be expected to do. Yeah, I think they were very fortunate to play two of their rivals in their worst game of the tournament. Uh, in the opener, I think they were thoroughly outplayed by Colombia. Uh, I know people were a bit down on the first half, but I did enjoy the way Colombia kept the ball and then grew into it in the second half. Argentina put some more pressure on, but it just meant that there was more space for Colombia to attack that vulnerable Argentine defence. Second game, Argentina played Paraguay. I think Paraguay should have won that game and should have pushed home their advantage. And they started with Santander up front, which is basically like starting with 10 players because he didn't move. Um, and Paraguay still, at the end of that game, 
had the opportunity to win and almost eliminate Argentina. They didn't They didn't go for the win, and I think that might have cost Paraguay because it meant they had to play Brazil as close as they came in that game. Um, so Paraguay, who were very limited, outplayed Argentina for much of that game. And then in the final game, they played Qatar. Qatar had by far their worst performance at the group stage. They looked very tired at this stage. And they still had as many chances as Argentina did. Argentina got the early goal. Qatar were well in the game and then Argentina finished it off late on. So they didn't play well in any of the group games. Um, then they played a Venezuela side that that was struggling because they, they lacked Solomon Rondon in, in his best form, holding things up. And uh, uh, again, Venezuela had large spells of possession and, and looked like a, they could match Argentina in terms of football. But they didn't have the the best game. Farinas had a few, a few a big error, and London wasn't at his best. So, I think Argentina really benefited from playing um, playing uh, Qatar in their worst game, and uh, and then Venezuela, who weren't quite at their best either. Uh, and Paraguay could have beaten them. So, it's a good result finishing third. But uh, and they did a respectable job in, against Brazil. Um, they got the job done against Venezuela, but this isn't a very impressive performance. The tournament as a whole, obviously, bringing things together for the knockout stages and and doing respectively well is 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 good. And I do think, as we said, Lautaro Martinez gives them energy and really spreads the play. He looks fearless, and most Argentine players come in and look terrified. So that's a big positive. You've mentioned ourselves. So Aguero provided a more of a goal threat, uh, surprising that he's been excluded recently because I think he was quite good. The defence is still bad. Individually, they're bad. Collectively, they're worse. Um, Armani, I think he's decent, but he's not particularly trusted by the defenders in front of him. Um, so I would say it, there's the tournament finishes with a gloss for Argentina, but you break it down and look at the performances. They were outplayed in most games they, they played. Whether they got the result or not, I think they were very fortunate to get out of the group and then... They beat, they beat a Venezuela on an off day and, and lost to Brazil. So uh, pretty much what we expected. But I think the results were better than uh, than we could have could have hoped for pre-tournament. Obviously, I was focusing on the positives beforehand, and there are definitely some massive issues that are going to take a long time to sort, such as that defence. Um, I think Simon's being a little bit harsh because um, I think they did improve, and you know you can only beat what's put in front of you. Um, obviously, as Austin said. People uh, focusing on uh, the sort of bad luck or the bad refereeing decisions, I think they are misguided in terms of where, uh, you know, using that as a as a false flag and 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 basically as, as to where the team is. Realistically, they've got to still look at the long term issues that need to be worked on and need to be fixed. Yes, it was a par tournament or slightly above par tournament depending on what your expectations are for this Argentina or Argentina as as, as a general um, giant of the game but um, realistically I think they've got to put that out of their mind they can't rest on their laurels they need to keep with this project and realistically I think AFA are, are the ones who are putting it in jeopardy there have been some good signs by them but Scaloni's contract extension just means they're, they're staying with a cheap option it, it's not a long-term idea if if he ends up going at the end of the year that just means whoever comes in is going to have even less time to work with this fairly limited squad um is it going to be Gashalo? is it going to be Ainsay? 
Could it be someone like Gareco or Caudet? No one knows yet. And you kind of think the, the less time they have to work with the team, the less attractive option it's going to be. So with Scaloni's future still up in the air and, you know, his his death sentence temporarily uh, postponed, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. Um, certainly, I can't see them at this rate be, being a challenger um, where they'd usually like to be when it comes to comes to the next World Cup. Maybe they'll eye the next copper, given that it's on home soil for some of the time, uh, as as some some way of potentially getting a getting a, a chance at getting the title. Um, not that they'll be among the favourites, mind. But generally speaking, I think you can you can sort of look at this tournament in both ways. Yes, there's plenty of room uh, for improvement. Yes, it could have gone a lot worse. Yes, the performances aren't there um, right now. But at the end of the day, we all know how much of a shambles they've been in. So it might seem like little to get excited about. But realistically, there's been so little um, in Argentinian football to get excited about that this does seem like certainly getting back on track and adam i think that can take us into a discussion on the team that finished fourth in this copa america in chile a win on penalties over colombia in the quarterfinals that sent them through to the semifinals Uh, dreams of of lifting a third consecutive copa america then dashed by a a loss to peru in the semifinals and then obviously the loss to, to argentina in the third place playoff What's the feeling in Chile about this performance? Was it a, a successful Copa America, an unsuccessful Copa America? Did it meet expectations, exceed them? Was it below them? I'm really interested to kind of hear where the, the thoughts are on this Chile performance. I would say overall it was it was pretty much acceptable. Um, although the manner in which they lost the semifinal against Peru did lead to quite a lot of people. Um, questioning um, Ruda's management of the of the team and uh, and of the squad, and and I did notice that um, calls for him to be sacked were <laughs> were trending on Chilean Twitter um, even after the Argentina defeat um, for the third fourth place playoff um, with suggestions. A lot of that I think is based on how much Chile lost their heads in that game. So the suggestion is, you know, does Rueda really have control over this Chile squad? And, and that is quite important because even in this sort of golden generation, the couple of times they've fallen apart is when it's been quite clear that the, that the managers lost control and lost discipline of the group. And that ha- happened famously under Borghi in 2011. And then again under Pizzi in 2017. Um, so, yeah, there's some worrying signs there. Um, I think pretty, I think we've said on this South American football show before, you know, the end of the era for this Chile team has pretty much already happened when they didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. You know, I, th- I think we did a show in the wake of that saying, you know, it's that's the end of this chilly generation and and it's time to move on but you know almost two years later we're sat here discussing pretty much the same 
set of players, certainly what, eight, nine of them are, are exactly the same. And still, there hasn't been much progression in terms of you can't see where a lot of the replacements are coming from. One of the huge plus points of this Copper America was obviously the introduction to the side on a regular basis of Eric Pulgar, um, the Bologna midfielder. He was exceptional, I thought, for much of this Copper. I did, I, I did see quite a bit of him um, last season. Um, I specifically tuned in to some of Bologna's games to watch him and and I was very impressed with what I saw and, and I did think that he would be one of Chile's better performers in this in this Copa America and so it proved um, really impressive in defensive midfield. He's not only a really good passer of the ball, but he's able to read the game so well in the in the anchor role and um, and some of his interceptions were were crucial um, throughout the Copper. I think Arangis looks like he's still got enough in him to go for another two, three years. Certainly, certainly a snack cycle. He's a player who's never particularly relied on pace. So, yeah, I, I think he, I think he's as, I think he's fine to operate with Polgar in that in in the midfield. But the performance, the erratic performances of Adora Vidal were a real worry for me in this Copa America. Um, and that's around. He had some good games. Certainly, the Colombia game, he played well. But against Peru, he was all over the place. Um, just completely lost his his head for for much of that game. Um, and and that for me was was one of the bigger disappointments because I thought if Chile were to win that semi final. It needed all three of those midfielders to, to control the game and, um, and, and that didn't come to pass. Um, Alexis Sanchez coming back into a, a bit of form, certainly played better than what we've seen from him in, uh, in the Premier League for, for Manchester United after uh, the last year or so. But I still think that he's uh, he's quite a way away from the player he was at his peak. And I've said this so many times in the last month, but for me, one of the things which made him a world-class talent was his ability to accelerate out of tight spaces. And we saw on various occasions in this Copa America that he doesn't have that anymore. Um, and there was many opportunities Chile had where they got the ball to him. And in the past, we've seen him absolutely destroy, run through defences, run past his marker. Quite often, he was stopping, cutting back, playing a pass into infield. And it was just sort of a, a generally slower game from Chile than what we've seen in previous Copa Americas. And, um, and that's partly down to Ruida's way of playing, but also just down to this ageing team as well getting on they can't do what they used to be able to do and what they used to be able to do did rely a lot on high energy and uh, and a lot of pace in, in, in the side um, Marapan at the back um, put in some pretty decent displays again especially against Colombia completely dominated um, Colombia's attackers in that one um, and, and that's definitely a plus point as well um, for me, 
I worry about his pace at times or his lack of pace. Um, but yeah, generally, I, I was pretty impressed with, with how he did. And it's going to be interesting if he gets a bigger move from Alaves in the, in the next year or so. Um, he's been linked with teams such as West Ham in, uh, in recent months. So be interesting where he ends up. Um, but yeah, it's uh, overall, I'm obviously still very concerned about where Chile's national team is heading next few years. Um, they need to try some different options in the Copa America 2020 next year. Pretty, much, I, For me, they have to pretty much write that off, I think. Um, just try and give some opportunities um, to, to some of the players on the fringes of the squad, even though you know, but they're certainly not up to the quality of the uh, of the aging generation, um, which went out of this copper at the semi-final stage. Um, and, and one last word has to go to uh, Jean Bossejour, who for Chile since I think about 2004, I think he's had a 15-year career in in the red shirt of of Chile, 107 caps, two Copa America titles. Scored in two different World Cups, the only Chilean ever to do that, and um, and also put a crucial penalty away in the penalty shootout against Argentina in in 2016. A legend of Chilean football, really. Um, will always come into the conversation of being Chile's best ever um, left back or left wing back, and um, and a truly great servant to to Chilean football and represents so much as well. Um, the Im- he represents the immigrant community with his um, with his roots from Haiti, and um, and also represents Mapuche, Chile's uh, indigenous community here, um, or Chile's largest indigenous community, should I say, here. So a very important figure of Chilean football, both on and off the pitch, for what he represents in both of those terms. Um, but somebody who always raised his game in, in, in the red of Chile and, um, and his performance against Colombia in the, in the quarterfinals will, will stick with me for a long time, I think, because he really rolled back the years there and, and that was when Chile needed him once again to, to do just that. But yeah, I, I don't know what you guys made of Chile, but yeah, overall, just about acceptable, I would say, but with the caveat of... It's going to be a very tough few years coming up, I think. Yeah, I think that you've summed it up perfectly there, really, Adam. Like Argentina, I think the the fact they got to the semi-finals um, sort of was maybe about where you'd expect as a fan that, for them to get, but perhaps you know, get, getting as far as they did might paper over some of the cracks of the long-term development that, that needs to be done on the squad there. Um, I was definitely surprised that they managed to edge uh, Colombia um, in the in the quarterfinals there. But yeah, like you said, there were some really good performances across the board. Maripan, as you said, was very good. Arangis is a player that I've been fond of for a very long time and I thought he was great again and one of the best penalty takers out there. Um, and Pulgar as well, sort of showing um, his why he's in the ascendancy um, both at club and, and national team level. So, yeah, a, a good tournament for, for Chile and um, it'll be interesting uh, to see how they rebuild in, in the coming years um, 
and uh, yeah, some very, very uh, appropriate words on Beausejour there, who um, who also managed to survive being managed by Alex McLeish. So he it truly is a special man. Yeah, just very briefly because I think we've covered most of it. But I was, you know, I think Chile obviously it went to penalties in the end against Colombia, but I thought they were. Uh, they they dominated that game. They they imposed themselves on Colombia. Their experience really showed. Of course, they really need some players coming through to support the squad. There were a lot of key players are early 30s, 29, 30, 31. So they still got a couple of years um, to kind of carry things as players come through. But, you know, there definitely needs to be some reinforcements to the squad. Paul Gargre, Aranjuiz, excellent. Vidal, leader and positive but you mentioned at times as well lost his head Eduardo Vargas still lively and important in attack Manipan in defence so there's there's still a good team there but you know the experience and the, co- the collective uh, organisation and, and spirit felt like that was very important at times um, in this tournament particularly in the Columbia game uh, and that's something going to carry you so far so I definitely feel there needs to be some players coming through very harsh on the manager in a way that maybe it's because he's Colombian, but I, I think uh, all the credit he deserves for the Colombia performance should 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 hold some weight uh, moving forward. Obviously, there was a collapse against Peru, but I think he got this team together uh, having looked way out of it in some friendlies before the tournament. So I think he deserves a bit of credit and a bit more time. I do, I do just need to add a little bit more important context there to the the debate over Ronaldo Rueda. Um, and that is that, you know, his decision not to select Claudio Bravo for this Copa America um, kind of came back to haunt him um, in, in that semi-final against Peru with Arias, you know, at fault for at least one of the goals, certainly the second one. Um, and yeah, and that is one of the reasons he's been heavily criticised because, and I did touch on it earlier, like, can he really control this dressing room, which does have notably some very big egos in it. And the reason why Bravo wasn't picked was not only, if you ask Ruela, hear, hear say that it's because Bravo's barely played in the last year or so, but really the, the reason seems to be is that the half the squad um, basically have no time for, for Claudio Bravo anymore. Um, there was a huge falling out in the in the wake of Chile not making Russia 2018, um, where Bravo's wife came out and and accused um, Vidal among other players of not taking their their duties to the national team seriously enough and going out and getting drunk, etc. Um, and ever since she made that comment, it's basically been very tense between. Uh, Vidal, Bravo, and 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 the, and the rest of the squad. Um, so, you know, Bravo wasn't only Chile's probably greatest ever goalkeeper, but also the fact that he was the captain of those two Copa America uh, titles, and and obviously made crucial saves in the penalty shootouts in both, and a crucial save in in extra time of the 2016 final from uh, from uh, Sergio Aguero header. You know, he is an icon here here in Chile. So Arias was never particularly popular with a lot of uh, a lot of Chileans here. A lot of them were very nervous. I watched the Colombia game in a in a bar here in Chile, 
And every time the ball went back to Gabriel Arias, people got nervous in the bar. You know, there was there was women screaming, there was men ooing, and yeah, it was just um, yeah, it, it it seemed like people had it in a little bit for Arias from the start, even before he had made a howler, and once he did make that howler, it was a bit of a you know we told you so kind of moment. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was a real shame that he he was he was one of the main reasons Chile uh, went out of this copper in the end. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, worrying for Rula because I'm not sure now. He's got like another year basically until Copper America 2020. Obviously, he's got those two World Cup qualifiers in in March next year. But now it's just a case of. Yeah, I think what there's going to be what six friendlies before then. We were saying earlier, so he's got he's got to try and find a few different options. Uh, Bosha yours retired, so needs to be sort of a consistent option down the left to start with. You need to see somebody coming through for the central striker role. Vargas was okay, but for me a little bit disappointing in the, in this Copa America um, and. Yeah, just they just need more options all over the pitch, and and they're not going to get it by just keep on playing the this generation of players. So it's a it's a big year coming up for Ruida. Adam, you seem to have left out the Chilean star of the Copa America in your breakdown of Chile's Copa America, and that of course is is Super official Bobby Roberto Tobar. Tobar. Yeah, uh, how could I forget? <laughs> he refereed the final magnificently. Um, you know, last year he, of course, refereed the 2-2 draw between uh, Boca and River in in the first leg. I'm not sure it actually exists in the history books anymore, but the first leg of that Copa Libertadores uh, final in in La Bombonera refere- re- refereed that magnificently and, and refereed this final as well. So, the man for the big occasion, uh, Roberto. I thought, uh, sorry. I thought that Gonzalo Jara also uh, brought his own style of refereeing when it came to uh, crowd uh, invaders as well. That was a, that was another particular moment that was brought to the the Copa America there. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, uh, perhaps uh, fortunate not to get sent off as uh, as Luis Suarez seemed uh, seemed very keen to let people know about. Moving on, um, let's have a look at how. Colombia's Copa America went with um, with Simon. A really promising start, Simon, in, in, in the group stage. Even managed to beat Paraguay with pretty much a B team. and uh, But then they kind of froze in the, in the big moment in the, in the quarterfinal against Chile. Yeah, so I think people here are particularly down because it's sort of what everybody expected or, or feared from this Colombia side. Uh, there's a sense in Colombia... And it's kind of an overplayed thing, but the Colombian t- sides, not just the national team, but they they lack hierarchia, they lack their pecho frío, so that they're they're not brave, that they're not strong, that basically Colombia have to be much better than their opponent to win the game. is is a fear that uh, Colombian experts and fans have, whether it's the Libertadores or the Sudamericana, and for many that was the simple explanation for Colombia looking so good in the group, and then completely out of the game in the quarterfinal. Went to penalties, 
Um, people are disappointed in Desijo. He's been getting some stick for death threats because everyone's mad um, for missing the penalty. But that wasn't the issue. They they just they weren't even in the game against uh, Chile. They barely they barely posed a threat and were lucky on a couple of decisions. So the good news is Colombia have a great squad. They've got a great first eleven. They've got a great second eleven. Um, I don't think any team were as comfortable as Colombia were in the group stage. Uh, the Argentina game, there were a little bit of nerves early on, but I think when things settled down, they were far superior in that game. The game against Qatar, they were the one side that Qatar played who, and Qatar put on a very good effort and kept things tight till late on, a nice moment from James and a, and a good finish from Duvan. Um, but uh, I don't think Qatar really posed much of a threat to Colombia in that game. I think they controlled it quite well for Colombia. And then again, as you say, completely rotated, 10 changes against Paraguay. And I, there weren't many easier 1-0 wins you'll ever see in your life. It was simple. It could have been 5 or 6. It was 1-0, but it was a very easy win against Paraguay. And then they played Chile, and then they were out-battled, out out-fought, out. You know, the experience of Chile really showed. So Colombia have a great team. Uh, Quiros in this tournament got a lot of credit. Obviously, people are concerned that this, the, the thing that people were worried about happened in terms of the team shrinking in the big games. Um, they played better against the Paraguay side when they had nothing to play for, uh, which is a concern. Quiroz played a more compact side in attack. It was three or four players pressing the defense. It was less focused on wing play. The fullback didn't push on. It looked interesting. It looked as though they were going to uh, be very collective in their in their pressing. And it did look like it was working quite well uh, for much of the tournament. Wilma Barrios was wonderful. Uh, a great, great player. I think Colombia's most important player uh, alongside the centre-back partnership of Damson and, and Jerry. Colombia, the only side they didn't concede in the Copa America. So they got that as well. Um, so lots of positives. But the big uh, looming negative is when it came down to it, when it really mattered, Colombia didn't turn up. So that's the concern. The personnel is there. The ideas look interesting. And of course, there's now a year to build on those ideas and, and bring things together. Quintero will be a useful addition as well. Hopefully, it looks like Van Zapata is becoming the Colombian number nine. He always posed more of a threat than Falcao up top. So there's interesting signs. I think the fullbacks as well can be improved. I think Adias is overall better than Medina. And I think Fabra eventually could come in on the left and, and be an upgrade on uh, Tesijo. Um, so lots of good ingredients, lots of positive signs, but the feeling in Colombia is, ah, we knew we'd, we knew we'd bottle it basically. And that's what happened. So we'll see big tournament in Colombia next year. I think things are looking good for the next world cup. I think Colombia are, are, are close, if not on par with the likes of Brazil and Argentina and personnel, but they need to get over that big, big hurdle. What do you, what do you think Austin? How, how did Colombia do for you? No Miguel Borja, no party when it comes to Colombia. That's my extent of the Colombia analysis. Uh, no, I, I think I agree with you that the performance in the knockout round left a lot to be desired. Uh, a lot of similarities kind of to the the infamous England match at the World Cup in 2018. Uh, but this is a Colombia side that I think is, if not at the top of kind of that second tier of teams in South America, is a member of the first tier. Um, and next summer's Copa America, next winter's Copa America, whatever 
time of year you want it to be in uh, will be intriguing for them on home soil for a lot of it. Uh, the final, obviously, to be played on home soil in Colombia. A positive performance there, I think, I think would go a long way for this Colombia side. But I do agree with you that qualification for 2022, I think Colombia is probably the team that I feel most confident about outside of Brazil and Uruguay. And I think that's a testament to, as you said, how just how deep this Colombia squad is, which is not something we've seen with Colombia in the past. So disappointing results, but definitely some positive signs, particularly on the group stage from this Colombia side. Yeah, we'll probably touch on this in South American football shows in, in, in the future, but Colombia's depth, especially at centre-back, centre-back position alone, is incredibly impressive for the next few years. And uh, yeah, if, if they somehow missed out on Qatar 2022, that would be a real, real shock for me. Um, so although they... In the end, disappointed when it really mattered in, in this Copa America. They've got a chance to put that right on home soil next year. And I think they are one of the certainties for, for the next World Cup as well. So um, plenty to be optimistic about, Simon. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. People here are very quick to, to be down on things. But you look at the Colombia side that... Last time Colombia beat Argentina in a competitive game, it was a team of domestically based players a decade ago. No one, you, none of one you've ever heard of. And now Colombia's second eleven are all big European stars. So overall, positive, more positives than negatives. Austin, what, what were you going to say? I was just going to kind of touch on Adam's points about a disappointing knockout stage from Colombia. I think we can transition here quickly to the most disappointing team in this Copa America. And I think at least as far as results are concerned, that's Uruguay, a good group stage performance. They hammered Ecuador to open, uh, were perhaps surprisingly held to a draw by Japan, but then beat Chile uh, to finish atop the group and earn what many thought was a, a more favorable knockout round tie against Peru. But then they were dumped out on penalties by Peru in the quarterfinals after a nil nil match that saw Uruguay have three separate goals taken away. Two of them, were particularly close on VAR uh, for offside. And Uruguay then out of this competition, Adam, as Luis Suarez missed the Uruguayan penalty. The only Uruguayan to miss his penalty as Peru went 5 for 5. That had to bring at least a little smile to your face, did it not? Uh, I felt really sorry for him, Austin. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did actually feel sorry for Uruguay, I have to say. Um, I thought they were the much better side against Peru in, in that quarterfinal, and um, and yeah, they they were very unfortunate, really, not not to have won that. Um, and uh, and if they had done, then suddenly, yeah, the, the way we're looking at Peru's um, performance in this Copa America is uh, would would then be you know a, a very very different indeed. Um, I think this has got to be a really big opportunity missed for Uruguay. I, I think they were the team best equipped to perhaps beat Brazil in this Copa America, and um, and they never got the chance to do that in the end, of course. And uh, Tom, do you know what the reaction generally has been from from Uruguayans to this? Yeah, it's it's generally been disappointment because, as you said. They they had a good uh, group group stage. They looked like genuine contenders for this title, and again, it was just really fine margins that that saw them go out. They were so unlucky from, you know, at least two of the goals were just millimeters from being on side. Um, that's obviously something that's uh, 
across football has, has been looked at in terms of VAR and, and the way it uh, relates to the current offside rule. Um, and obviously Suarez missing the penalty. It could have quite easily been different. And from there, had they had they got the boost from winning that shootout or going through against Peru, there's absolutely nothing to to sort of say they, they couldn't have followed in Peru's footsteps and, and have made it to the final and, and would have given Brazil a really, really good game. So definitely the feeling of a missed opportunity, but also as as with Simon and Colombia, I think the general feeling is is quite good around this national team because there are so many good young players coming through and um, I think even even in positions where they're, they're their kind of key men are, are getting on a bit. There are players coming through to replace them. So I think the general feeling is that they're in a good place. It's going to be interesting to see how long uh, Tavares carries on. You know, the, the successor that we all thought might take take her the wheel at some stage has, has now sort of moved away from Uruguayan football. Um, it, and it's going to be interesting to see just whether... Tavares fancies one more crack at the World Cup, um, but definitely next year is going to be a big, big opportunity to to win something. If this generation sort of comes away with nothing, then it will be um, a bit of a pity, really. So um, they're definitely talented enough, and um, I'm sure we can uh, we can see a renewed attempt and uh, a, a better and stronger Uruguay next year. Yeah, I think for me, the one question for Uruguay is getting that midfield balance right. The talent is clear. They've got a couple of great strikers. They've got a defence that's been together for years and is is very well drilled and very well organised. For me, it's looking to control that midfield a little bit more. All of the players are good. Betancourt, Valverde, they were playing with uh, with kind of wide players who were very inverted. You know, I just think that is the question for me. The talent's no doubt. The midfield is more talented than it's been for, for a decade. But in terms of getting the right balance with these young players, that for me is the question. If they can get that to click, then uh, they have the most complete side in terms of defence, in terms of attack, and then potentially midfield control uh, in South America. So still work to be done, I think, in terms of getting all that all that to line up and and maybe some fresh ideas. It's hard to say, but I, I think definitely, at least after this next Copa America, some fresh ideas maybe might be might be welcome. But They've got the the defense is a banker, the strikers are a banker. Then it's just seeing what they can do with the midfield to kind of evolve and build upon that. But yeah, full of talent, a good team, a good a good character. Still, uh, slightly disappointing results, but moving forward is more positives than negatives for Uruguay, of course. Yeah, just to touch on Tavares there, Tom. I I, I think if I recall correctly, he did sign. A new contract, didn't he, just last year, um, which which takes him through to Qatar 2022. So, um, but from what I can tell, that at the moment, as, as much of a legend he is, obviously in Uruguayan football, he he does seem to divide opinion a little bit as to whether he's the right man to be in charge at the moment, especially in the context of what Simon's mentioned there getting that balance right in midfield yeah you know obviously he signed that contract but whether whether he continues the whole way or whether the if especially if next next year's copper goes badly then maybe 
the Uruguayan uh, Football Association, which is as much, if not more, of a mess than the Argentinian one at the moment. Um, whether they seek to act and and have the have the way of us to 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 get rid of someone who's given so much to Uruguayan football is is another thing to be seen. I definitely agree with Simon that they they need that fresh impetus soon. Um, you know they've done it with the players now. They maybe need to do it at a managerial level. And I think yeah, if they can find that midfield balance and maybe find a way of adding a bit more width to the side, then then they're going to be dangerous. So yeah, definitely an interesting side to watch going forward. Okay, well. They're kind of uh, probably the six sort of six of the better sides I would say in this Copper America rounded up in, in quite a lot of detail. We are getting on for time, so we're only very briefly going to look at the the other sides who competed in this Copper America. Um, and I think we'll start with Paraguay, who were who were quite um, close to knocking out the eventual champions, Brazil. Uh, they were very poor, in my opinion, in 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 the group stage group stage aside from about a forty minute spell maybe against Argentina, um, where they probably should have beaten them. Um, yeah, they were pretty poor in the group stage, like I say, and then yeah managed to hold on for a nil nil draw. And uh, but this time, unlike in two thousand eleven and two thousand and fifteen, they couldn't beat Brazil on penalties and. Um, and ended up on on the wrong end of that. Um, Simon, what did you make of them? I think we were both impressed with um, Almiron. Yeah, Almiron is a real difference maker. He's the one guy who can convert defence to attack. He gives them he gives them hope. Really, um, the defence was organised and good. They looked most comfortable when defending deep with Valuena doing a heroic job at the back there alongside Gomez. Um, they just really lack. Sorry, sorry, so, sorry Simon. I, I think we should just point out that one of the reasons I think Paraguay were struggling to impress in the group stage was the fact that their manager Eduardo Barrizzo is famous for playing a fairly high line of defence. Now, how Paraguay are going to manage that transition, I, I, I don't know, but. Like you say, they definitely look more comfortable when defending in their traditionally traditionally deeper um, stance. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's the 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 conflict between defending deep and having two strikers you can't run, um, which is an ideal. Uh, Oscar Cardoso, I think, was better than Santander, but neither of them want to do any running. They want it into feet, and it's very hard to find their feet when they're. 80, 90 metres away. Um, so Almiron is really, really key. They looked more dangerous when they had uh, Gonzalez playing up front. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting side. They'll they'll be tough and they'll be difficult. But it, again, as you say, it's, it's combining or the potential conflict between those traditional Paraguayan approach of, of staying tight and compact and maybe a manager who wants to build upon that. I just don't know if they have the personnel to to really do that at this stage but you know they were competitive and they, they were very unfortunate to go out to Brazil but um, definitely a side that's limited and perhaps punching above their weight in this tournament and uh, Austin we had high hopes for Venezuela I think heading into this Copa America um, but ultimately they, they kind of were a little bit of a disappointment in the end especially in that 2-0 defeat to Argentina in the course finals no? 
Yeah, a mixed bag of nil-nil draws in the group stage, one against Peru, one against Brazil. Then they did what you do, and they beat Bolivia 3-1. Uh, Joseph Martinez getting on the on the scoreboard in that one. The performance against Argentina, I think, was their worst of this competition, and, and yet they still had some moments and some chances before a very uncharacteristic error from uh, World Football Index fan favorite, uh, Wilker Farinas gifted Argentina a second goal, which ended up putting that match away. I think Venezuela would have would have thought that they could do more at this Copa America. I think they were a trendy pick to maybe make a run to the semifinals. Maybe they could have done what Peru ended up doing, but ended up falling short. Uh, however, this doesn't really tamper my expectations for them going forward. I still think Venezuela are going to be a player in South America going forward. I think they're going to be dangerous at the next Copa America. I think they're going to be right in the thick of the conversation for qualifying for a World Cup. The question will be, I think Rondon and Joseph Martinez, is there a way for Venezuela to play those two together? How can they use each of those two best to their abilities? Because they are both great players, but they're both very different players. I think that's the biggest question for Rafael Dudamel going forward. So a disappointing final result for Venezuela, but, but still a lot of positive signs. For me, Venezuela has to find a way of being protagonists in matches. Um, I think they are fine if if uh, if they're expected to, you know, play for a draw or, or try and get a surprise result. But now, with the expectation that they have the quality to qualify for Qatar 2022, to do that, they're going to have to find a way of trying to dominate some matches, I feel. And um, and at the moment, under Dudamel, I'm not convinced they, they have the confidence to do that. I, I saw a performance in that quarterfinal against Argentina, one which was very nervy and um, and far too respectful of, of Argentina. And um, and I think they're, they're going to need to find something else uh, to, to make it to their first ever World Cup. We did have a question on... Wilker Farinias actually um, came from Xander Wilkinson who asked one of the other questions for the show as well so big thanks to Xander for that um, he says Farinias obviously made the odd error and yeah we should point out that he kind of bookended um, really this Copa America he, he's, in the first minute of the first game he made a mistake um, against Peru where, and Peru scored but luckily for him um, the goal was ruled out by by VAR, and then you know his, his one of his last touches of, of the ball in this Copa America was gifting um, Argentina their second goal. Um, so it wasn't a it wasn't an, a the kind of Copa America we perhaps expected from him. But in between those two areas, he did have a couple of really impressive performances, especially against Brazil, um, and. Sander's question is, the fees that are sort of moving around and, and paid for second choice goalkeepers moving around is sort of around the 20 million mark. Um, you know, do we think that he's better value than, um, than a lot of options out there at the moment? Simon? I mean, for me, definitely. Um, it'll be interesting to see his contract runs out 31st of December 2020. So it hasn't got a massive amount of time it's, you know, in, in football. Uh, Millonarios have bought a good goalkeeper in Jefferson Martinez. So it looks as though they may be preparing for a, for a, a Wilka Farinha's departure. I'd be surprised if Martinez would come and sit on the bench. He's a, he's a good goalkeeper within the Colombian league. Uh, yeah, I think, I think go for it. I mean, there's talk of Barcelona, which 
it does feel a big step at this stage, um, particularly if he's going to sit on the bench for, for the entirety of the season. Benfica as well has been linked, and that's a, a long-term link. Midianarios um, have sold to Benfica before, and they do have uh, an agreement, uh, not particularly for Wilco Farinas in terms of anything on paper, but it's a long-term uh, partnership they have. So I would go. I would say yes. Europe now. There's still areas of the game that needs work, but he can make saves that very few other goalkeepers can make. So with a bit of refinement, um, he's he's could be a game changer for for a, a team outside the top 15. I would say in Europe, you don't, you don't want him going somewhere where there's too much pressure at this stage, but. Anywhere else below, uh, they have a real star on their hands if they can iron out some of the issues and, and get his confidence right and, and get him uh, get him settled. Okay, perhaps the most disappointing team overall. Um, not that we expected a great deal from them, but just just how kind of pathetic they were, really. Um, and and that's and that's Ecuador, and they quite often seem to do this turn up for, well, not turn up for Copa Americas, should I say. Um, what, why, do, why do you think that is, Simon? I think uh, Bolillo Gomez made it quite clear that he was shocked that anyone cared that he'd been so bad at the Copa America. He said in an interview afterwards, well, if I, if I thought you were going to judge me on that tournament, I wouldn't have taken the job. Um, so he clearly didn't have much expectations. He also said that, uh, well, you can sack me if you want, but you're still stuck with these rubbish players. That's not a direct quote. But basically he said, look, you sack me, but you're in the same position as you are now. Um, I think there's a conflict between the the place that Ecuador is with their full team and the manager they have and what's coming up from the U20s. Uh, some scouting spotlight pods on their way for some of their star players. But things are going to get better for Ecuador I think if they change manager, things could get better quite quickly. And I think if they stick with Bolijo, I think there'll be an issue uh, incorporating some of these very interesting, expressive young players they've got coming through with his no-nonsense style. Bolijo can be decent when he has limited players who buy in. Ecuador didn't seem to buy in, but they did seem quite limited. So, yeah, I think a change is well overdue. And uh, I think someone's going to come in and start from almost nothing with the squad they have, which is definitely... Uh, reason to be optimistic, even if it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, personally, I think they they need some kind of a bit of a project manager to go in there and um, and certainly help bring those under twenty stars in into into this side. Um, moving on to Bolivia, who, much like Ecuador, usually disappoint at the at, at the Copa America, but unlike Ecuador, um, you know, it's it's kind of something we do always expect them to go out in the in the group stage. Austin, what did you make of this Bolivia? I mean, they were fine against Brazil. Uh, a penalty ended up being the first goal for Brazil, and then they kind of folded pretty quickly after that. They scored first against Peru from their penalty spot, and then kind of folded after that. Uh, they scored against Venezuela after having folded to start the match. Look, this is Bolivia. Uh, this match wasn't played at altitude, so none of these matches were, so it was always going to be difficult for them. Um, I don't really see any sort of positivity going forward for Bolivia. Uh, they're going to be difficult in World Cup qualification because they play at La Paz, but I think it will be really difficult for this Bolivian side to pick up more than a point or two away from home in World Cup qualification, and they'll probably have a very similar performance at the next Copa America. 
And that's kind of the state of Bolivian football. And finally, quick word on the two invitees in this uh, Copa America. Uh, I'll speak a little bit about Qatar in a bit. But Simon, you, you were quite impressed with Japan at times, no? Yeah, I thought uh, Nakajima was excellent. He's just doing Porto really classy. The best traditional South American number 10 in the Copa America. And he's not not even South American, but he was really impressive for me. Kubo, who's just joined Real Madrid, 18-year-old. This is a team full of kids. Um, goalkeeper was good. Uh, he was much older. They just they just couldn't put the ball in the net. They lacked that hierarchia, that experience, that mental toughness. But I think there's a lot of good young players there coming through at Japan who will be incorporated with the, with the core squad from moving forward. Uh, and Nakajima is really one to watch out for because he was very, very impressive. Really intelligent, classy number 10. And Kubo was dangerous too. So some positive signs for Japan. I think they'll uh, look to bring those guys into the full team, the, the full squad. Um, but yeah, so far, a pr- pretty good performance from Japan. They were quite unlucky to miss out as well from qualifying from the group. So all good for them. And very quickly, this Japan side was a lot youth-based. They host the Olympics next year. So I think this was a good chance for them to look at a lot of players who will probably end up playing a pretty big role in their Olympic campaign on home soil next year. Yeah, I, th- I think one of my biggest takeaways, really, from, from this Copper America was, although Qatar and Japan both went out at the group stage, I think there's worrying signs um, there for, for, for kind of the general level of South American football um, in, in the future. And that's that Japan and Qatar both at least played with uh, like a coherent, and, um, and, and quite a stylistic plan, uh, I felt. Like the style of football from both sides was quite pleasing on the eye. You could see what, they were, what both teams were clearly trying to do. And I'm not sure you could say that for, for quite a few of the sides um, um, in, in this Copa America from South America. Um, so I feel that they were just let down by that little bit of quality in, in, in the final third. Um, certainly Qatar should have beaten Paraguay and I, and I think they would have done if, if, um, if they had a little bit more quality in the final third in that game um, and Japan you know, were quite unlucky not to beat Uruguay in, 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 that, in, in that second game that 2-2 draw against Uruguay was actually one of the best games of the tournament um, and yeah I just feel that it's even though they didn't get results I, I thought the performances from both nations were very promising and I think we could see Qatar again in the Copa America next year. They're set to be one of the yes. invited teams to that, aren't they? Um, along along with Australia. So it'd be interesting if they can develop sort of over the next year and the, and if we do see any um, any improvement on, on what they managed this year. Okay, well, I, th- I think that's everything. We're pretty much covered. Simon, I'll come to you first. Is there is there anything you wish to plug? Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF um, for my thoughts and things moving forward. Uh, spotlight pods, I think, coming soon. So check out for those. They're always excellent. Uh, and yeah, Twitter and, and clips of Gabriel Jesus getting angry with VAR. Yeah, man. Ten thousand retweets. I'm a I'm a Twitter celebrity. <laughs> Social media sensation, I believe, was the term you used earlier to describe yourself. 
but he's only trying to match uh, my levels from earlier in the tournament with my Luis Suarez tweet, I think. Um, Austin, where can where can we find you? Are, are you still at the same Twitter address, even though you've moved physical address? I am, I am. I'm at Austin underscore James 906. Uh, I got to watch my local club here in Argentina, Club Atletico Excursionistas, fall heartbreakingly short of making the third tier of Argentine football. They lost a promotion playoff final on penalties to uh, the now hated Villa San Carlos. So Villa San Carlos, maybe they're Villa San Juan. I'm not sure. Villa something. They beat them on penalties, so that was certainly disappointing. But yeah, follow me there on Twitter, and I'd also plug at the Libertadores and at the Sudamericana for all the latest on those two competitions. Sudamericana back this week, Libertadores back at the end of the month with some really tasty round of 16 ties that I think we're all excited for. Yeah, if we're not back before then, then we'll certainly be back to, to round up that, that Libertadores action. Uh, Tom? Yeah, you can follow me at on Twitter at TomRobo89. Uh, again, I'll be getting involved in plenty of the scouting spotlight pods. Um, but yeah, other than that, just uh, follow me on there. Yeah, not much from me, really. Just to say, follow me at AdamBranson84 on Twitter. Obviously, we did release the Cifuentes pod. Um, Ecuador's promising under-20 midfielder um, who's been linked with moves to... Manchester City and Celtic in, re- in recent days so check that out if you haven't already on the WFI network and all what's left to say really is a huge thank you to Austin Tom Simon for joining me and a huge thanks to our listeners for choosing this pod once again we'll be back soon with more South American football action and it's goodbye <laughs>